So we are unfolding Colossians, and um, we've taken it slowly, and today we're going to be looking at two verses only, but I thought before we, we dive into what I'm about to share, it would be good to remind ourselves of the passage. So um, I'd like to ask two volunteers to read uh, Colossians uh, one to read from um, verse 1 to verse 14, and the other volunteer to read from verse 15 to verse 23. Any takers? Ruth? Second one? Brian. Great. Pardon? Did I say something else? No, you just said you just didn't say Yeah, Colossians 1, 1 to 14. Thank you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy 
For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present to you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, and the teach so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. May God's name be blessed through the public reading of his word. Amen. So, the reason why it's called Unfolding Colossians is because it's quite intense. It's full of words that unless you pause and stop and you think and you try to to engage, it's not just uh, you're reading something else. It's a letter that is written with love from a pastor's heart, from a pastor's passion to a church which actually he himself has not planted, but yet wants to to really acknowledge what God has been doing in their lives, wants to to press them on in the hope in the midst of wherever they are setting up, in the midst of the culture that is throwing all sorts of things at them, in the midst of being actually faced with religious activity that, again, is trying to to, to deform the gospel. And as we've been trying to unfold Colossians, I've asked some questions. Now, this week, I have not had the time to prepare for slides. So I'm really sorry, but there is no slides this week. Next week, maybe. So... We've, 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 done, we've gone through the, the, the journey of unfolding the, the, this, this precious letter by asking some questions to us as a congregation. So the first question that I've asked is, are you ready to grow in 2020? And then the second question that we did the first week is, what are the things that you are thankful to God for for Cairns Roads? Um, the, the following week, we dealt with a question, what are the things that you are praying for 
Cairns Road. And again, once again, we've been reminded today that about the importance of prayer as individuals and as corporate. Um, then uh, two weeks ago, I asked the question, what is our template of worship and theology? Um, and then last week, I asked the question, how outstanding or unrivaled is your Jesus in the light of Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. Today's question is, how is your cross-picking going? Bear with me, don't worry. Maybe it sounds silly question, but how is your cross-picking going? Paul has just started the letter by really thanking God. He's praising God. He's affirming their discipleship. He's, he's really <clears throat> acknowledging that the seeds of the gospel has landed in good soil. And he, he admires their love, their hope, the everything that the gospel has brought for, to them. And he knows that actually it's, it's quite precious. But also he needs to, to, to impart to them that actually being a disciple of Christ is not only precious, but it's costly. And he himself has to, to show what it means for him to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. In order for them to understand that actually, if they are in the midst of this turmoil, if they are in the midst of actually being pressed on, still carry on because the gospel is still good news. So he, he doesn't dwell a lot on this, but somehow he needs to, to express where he feels with this in his own ministry. So if we read uh, Colossians verses 1, uh, 20, I'll say 24. So he's, he's just, as we said last week, he's just imparted to them who Christ is. And if Christ is supreme, then he should be number one. And now he is sharing with them what the outworking of this number one is for him as a minister of the gospel. So he says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I'm afraid we have arrived at the most difficult verse in the whole letter. And I think this is the challenge of expositional preaching because you come to a verse and you have to address it. You can't just override it and press on to the next verse. And I think it's, it's a challenge for me and I think that's how we should treat the scriptures as well. That it's not something that we choose a topic and let's go and find where those words in regards to the topic are, are mentioned and let's press on in celebrating that. But let's stop and see what, what does Paul mean about this joy, this rejoice that he's got in this suffering. 
Joy in suffering. What does he mean by this? I'm asking the question again. We all love Paul's conversion story. If you open your Bibles in Acts chapter 9, you'll see how God really called Paul. But you also notice there that there is an element there that I probably have overlooked. I know that that's the fact, but I've overlooked. And let's see how this fits with what he is about to, to write, or what he is not about, what he has written 2,000 years ago to the Colossians. So we've got this amazing conversion story that Paul meets the resurrected Christ on the way to Damascus when he's got a mandate to go and kill all the people of the way. But meantime, God is calling somebody else to help Paul come to the senses of what has happened to him. Ananias. Acts chapter 9, verse... 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, and he said, Ananias, and he said, yes, Lord. I wish I was that prompt sometimes. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on the straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus, named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord told Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And then God still speaks to Ananias and he says, I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went, placed the hands on Paul, and he calls him brother. And he is the one that baptizes Paul. But he gets something from God here that Paul has to to endorse and to see for himself. God says to to Ananias that he will show how much Paul has to suffer for being the bearer of the good news of the kingdom to the Gentiles. Now, suffering. We, we don't want to talk about suffering. And somehow in the Western world, we, we, we kind of cotton wool it because we don't want to, to, to address with it, even the, address it. And um, I, I touched a little bit last week, and I just wanted to bring it here again, because I think what Paul is sharing here is really true. 
of his walk with God. And yet he chooses to rejoice in suffering. How is this possible to be suffering and to be rejoicing? What is the key for Paul here? I personally think that that Paul is trying to, to impart this wisdom from his own experience because actually he knows that part of his ministry is going to be suffering because he knows that that's how he can identify with Christ. So in his union with Jesus, when Jesus came to this earth, we always think that Jesus was a good teacher and he did good things. But actually, Jesus was really unpopular. He was really unpopular because basically he, 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 was put, he put on the spot all the status quos of the going cultures. The teachers of the law, the governmental officials, he went and sat with sinners, he went and people, he, he healed on the Sabbath. He was really unpopular. And in one sense... He was so unpopular that they had to crucify him with two thieves. So, so, so Paul is kind of very clear in his mind that actually this joy in this suffering that he is going, and we're going to look what does this suffering look for Paul later on, is that actually he is so close to Christ The union with Jesus is actually evidence in Paul's suffering. And also he knows that in this suffering, I mean, when Paul is writing this letter, he's in prison. He's really in a tough place. And he knows that actually God is still faithful, although he's in prison. He's not able to go and preach the gospel. And if we take a little bit further what Peter writes, if you open 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, it talks something about suffering. It's, it's very clear in Paul's mind that actually suffering is not because of his bad or good behavior. It's because of belonging to Christ. 1 Peter 3, 17 It is better, it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So for him, there is no, no issues here that he's not, he's not seeing suffering as something that God has done to him in regards to his behavior. No, this is part of the package. And he's just actually finishing talking about the supremacy of Christ. And if Christ is supreme... Then he is number one. And if he is number one, then as a result of that, there are consequences. And this is the consequences that he's talking about here. And perhaps the consequences of you choosing Christ to be number one tomorrow morning may be different than somebody who is in China, maybe different than somebody who is in West Africa, maybe different than somebody who lives in Hungary. 
may be different than somebody who lives in, in Albania. But Paul is very clear that in that time, when he has just unfolded who Christ is, and it's, it's the best passage that we can find how he worships God, he unfolds that actually worshiping Christ comes with a cost. Comes with a cost. He does not want to fool the Colossians. He does not want to fool himself. And actually, I think I find myself sometimes fooling myself because sometimes I talk about this easy Christianity, easy discipleship. You follow Jesus and everything is going to be fine. Which is wrong. Because that's not true. Because again, if we know that Christ is supreme and we are choosing him to be number one in our lives, well, this is going to get us in trouble. This is going to cause us suffering. Comes with a package. And Paul knows that he is called to suffering. Second Corinthians. We're going to look at a few verses today, so bear with me. Second Corinthians chapter 11. He's talking a little bit about his suffering. Have, have some time spent on it today just to see what Paul has been going through. I am a servant of Christ. I've worked harder being in prison more frequently. Being flogged, verse 23 onwards. Being flogged more severely, being exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger, thirst, and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. This is the mighty apostle. And Jesus is saying, I'll show him how much he must suffer for the gospel. And he, when he writes to the Colossians, he says, this suffering, this suffering is for your sake. This suffering is for God's church. This suffering, I love it the way that he puts it. I rejoice in what was suffered for you. 
and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul is saying there's something very weird. That's why I said earlier on that this is difficult. He's saying, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. So it's talking about something that is lacking. And I want to stop there just for a moment, just to pause to explain what is Paul is trying, my understanding of what he's trying to say here. There is no way that there is any doubt in Paul's mind. I mean, we're going to interpret this verse in the light of light rather than just on this verse alone. There is no doubt in Paul's mind about the sufficiency of the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. He talks about that only two or three verses there. So there is no, so, so when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, it is finished. It's done. That's why he is able to say he's supreme, he's done this, he's done that, he's done that, he's done that. He is who he is. But when he's talking about here, this lack, is that actually, now Jesus has moved on, and it is Paul who is the representation of the earthly suffering of Jesus. So in one sense, he is showing with his life that what the Lord went through, it is possible to go. But this nothing to do with salvation. This is nothing to do with you know, indulgences or anything like that. This has to do with actually that part of being a disciple is... Picking up the cross daily and following Christ. So hence, I asked the question in the beginning, how is your cross picking? As I was preparing this week for this verse, there is a lot of stories of missionaries that have really suffered for the sake of the gospel. And I, I don't want to, to go and ask or g- tell you stories, but if you've got a chance after the service, go and speak to people who have been on the mission field. Go and have a word with Ian and Elaine. Go and have a, ro- a word with uh, Nicola and uh, with uh, Richard. Have a word with uh, Cordells. Have a word with Sue, um, who's been a missionary. Have a word with Ruth, Carol Green. What is it? What is it? I, I think I've got other names here. I, I'm not, I'm not, but what is it? Please, have a word with, send a text message or a, a, an email to the mission partners. What is it that they are representing the suffering of Christ in their ministries? How is your cross-picking going? Why do I ask that question? Well, I ask that question because the cross-picking element is not a mandate that Paul has given. It's a mandate that the Lord Jesus has given. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says something that is radical. He is unpopular. Jesus is very offensive here. 
to the disciples. He is very offensive to me. That's why the gospel is good news, not good information. Jesus has just predicted his death. Then Jesus says to his disciples in verse 24 of chapter 16 of Matthew, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Pick up his cross and follow me. For whatever wants, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. This is exactly what Paul is talking about. This is precisely that actually he's done, he's gone through all this suffering for the sake of God's kingdom. And the way that God has chosen to unfold his economy with reconciling himself with this world is through his church. Therefore, he's given his life for the church, for the sake of the body of Christ. This is phenomenal to see an apostle who really will look very highly up, you know, who we've got actually the most of the New Testament, to say that actually marks of the suffering are not for me to boast, but to see God's kingdom unfold in your lives. That's sobering. And he's saying, it's not that Jesus is lacking this, but it's, it's good that suffering of Jesus is kind of presented in the way that I am suffering. So this brings people closer to him. So this suffering in our money may not be persecution per se, but it may be. It may be that friend in your office, that colleague who is really antagonistic about your faith and just cannot wait for the moment to come and put you in the corner. Maybe it may not be suffering and persecution per se, but it may be that family member who thinks that you becoming a Christian was the worst decision that you have ever made. Maybe suffering is not persecution per se, that you lose your job or you lose that thing, but actually, maybe it has to do that you lose your status in your role where you are. Suffering may not be per se just pure persecution where your life is in danger. But it may be that your life is really inconvenient. It may be per se that your life is uncomfortable. That actually you and I choose a lifestyle that we don't need to have any recognition about, but for the sake of God's kingdom, for the sake of his church. For the sake of seeing that good news of Jesus being good news for ourselves first and foremost, 
because unless we believe it, we cannot share it with others, but also for the people and the communities and everybody that God puts into our path during the week or the months or the years. So I dare ask the question to myself and I dare ask it to you, how is your cross picking? How is your taking up your cross daily and following Jesus? If it's convenient, I think you should have to revisit that. If it's comfortable, you need to question that. If it's something that actually we do because it's nice, because that's what we do, then we need to bring that before God. Because what we see here from Paul is that the lifestyle of a disciple of Jesus is risk-taking and sacrificial for the sake of God's people. Now, I'm going to ask the question, but I'm not sure if I am in position to answer that with all my honesty. Do I want that? Depends when you ask me. If I get excited and I don't think about it, and I stand here in front of you and I want to show off, I say yes. That's not the point. Because for Paul, it was not how he felt about it. For Paul, it was this great revelation, this union that despite of how he felt about it, of picking up the cross and taking up the cross and following Jesus daily, it was tough. But actually, there was days that Jesus was carrying the cross on Paul's behalf. There was days that Paul did not recognize that Jesus was with him, and yet Jesus was there. And there was days that he recognized that Christ was there. And those are the moments that he's saying, no, no, this is real. This is real, guys. So Jesus says, whoever follows me must pick up, take up the cross daily and follow me. Actually, down deep within me, I confess before you, I want to pick up. I want to take up the cross. I've tried many times on my own human power and I've failed miserably. So I need to confess that before you. I need to repent and say, Jesus, yes, help me. And I think this is a take that Paul is expecting also from Colossians and perhaps from us today. That if we have been given the wrong end of the stick about following Christ, then we need to come to our senses that actually following Jesus and worshipping him comes with a cost. And in our hearts today we say, Lord, we want to pay that cost. Whatever it looks like. Now, I have to be very careful because I don't know what the week ahead of me looks for me. But in my heart, I want to say yes. I want to live by taking risks 
and sacrificial for the sake of your body, for the sake of Cairns Road, who is your church. Do you want that? I'll leave some time now and then we'll close. Time to pray, time to to think a little bit if God has challenged you in something and then we'll commit our hearts together.